0: Luke chapter 17, we're going to read the text and then we're going to pray one more time. Um, But I want to just let you guys know, we're going to pray for Jonas and Ruth, who most of us in this room know and love. They're down in San Diego this week. Um, They were down there for their granddaughter's graduation. And um, their older daughter, April, actually had a seizure yesterday and was rushed to the emergency room. And uh, she was unconscious, but breathing. They ran scans on her. Thank God she uh, woke up last night and she's doing much better this morning. Her CT scan came back clear, but they're waiting on test results of an MRI. And so we're going to continue to pray together for April and her husband, Steve, and of course, Ruth and Jonas and their whole family. So let's read this text and then we're going to pray one last time. So this is Luke 17, starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What an amazing story before us that you've given to us, Lord. We're so thankful for your word. We do pray now that you would give us understanding and that you would speak to our hearts as we've already prayed. But Lord, our hearts this morning are also filled with a level of anxiety and concern for a family that we love so much. And we think of April right now, still in a hospital in San Diego. God, we are so thankful that she uh, woke up from being unconscious last night. We're so thankful that she's feeling more Herself this morning, she was able to eat breakfast and we're thankful for that. Lord, we wanna pray though for complete healing. And Lord, we are thankful that the CT scan came back clear, but we pray for this MRI. We pray that the results of this would reveal nothing significant, and that you would give the doctor's wisdom as to what is going wrong in her body. But we, put, we pray for a complete healing. We pray for your peace to flood their hearts as they pray, and as we pray for them. We pray for her husband, Steve, that you'd be with him, comfort him, and help him to bring a measure of comfort to his sweet wife. So, Lord, we, we pray for the De Leon family and commit them to you now in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I once heard a pastor tell the joke about the woman with her small child at the beach. And she was standing there too close to the edge, like maybe some of us have done. And a wave came in and caught her by surprise and actually swept her young child out to sea. Frantic like a mother would be, she looked up to the heavens and she cried out to God. And she said, Lord, if you'll save my son, I'll never ask for anything again. Sure enough. The next wave crashed and up washed her son, safe and sound. Now, after looking at the boy, she looked up and said to God, But he had a hat. <laughs> now, we laugh a little bit and we should, but we should all also readily admit that we too struggle at times with ingratitude. God does something great in our life. God does something wonderful in our lives. And just as quickly as we can say thank you, or maybe not even say thank you, we turn around and find ourselves asking for something else or wanting something else. In fact, ingratitude church might be one of our biggest sins and a sin that we're often not even aware that we're committing. I mean, how much have we truly, if you stop and think about it, how much have we truly been blessed with in our lives? And yet we go through our daily routines often without even giving a a word of thanks to the God from whom all all blessings flow, not blessings, all blessings flow. I mean, how many of you guys had breakfast this morning, for example? Most of us in this room, how many of you could have had breakfast if you didn't? All of you should raise your hand because we have donuts and coffee here. We got you taken care of. I mean, how many of us know people who are worse off than we are? They don't have the resources that you have. Sure, you might not have everything you want, but we can look around and go, but you know what I'm doing? Probably relatively okay. How much have we been blessed with? And yet we always seem to want more. How many times has God come through for you in your life? And yet again, maybe we didn't even stop to say thank you. You know, when you first read a text like this, it's easy to go, what does this have to do with me? Like, how could I relate to 10 lepers? Um, But but the reality is, the truth of the matter is that this text has everything to do with us. Because underneath the healing of leprosy, there's issues of faith, there's issues of mercy, there's issues of gratitude, or I guess ingratitude. So ultimately, this text says a lot to us about our relationship to our God and his relationship to us. And so let's closely consider the teaching for today. As the story begins, we're reminded there in verse 11 that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This text takes place in what's known in this book as the travel narrative. It's a section of this book. Starting back in chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus had concluded his ministry in the north, and he had set his face to go to Jerusalem, where he was going to die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the dead. And so him and his disciples are on a road trip. They're traveling to Jerusalem. There's a lot of teaching that Jesus is giving them. A lot of it's about the cost of discipleship, because again, he's about to die. Their own lives are going to be threatened. But also there's these encounters that he has on the way, like this one. And as Jesus enters this village, he's greeted there by these ten lepers who, in verse 12, stood at a distance. Of course they did. In fact, they were required to. Did you know that for lepers, if people approached lepers in this, in this culture, lepers actually had to shout out in advance to those people, unclean, 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 so that they could be avoided. And you thought you had a hard time meeting new people. That was their plight. They were cut off from the community. They were alienated from normal social interactions. I mean, they they were in the worst possible situation in society. Removed from all relationships outside of that leper colony. They were cut off from their families. They were cut off from friendships, again, outside of their own leper colony. They were removed from business and making money. They weren't allowed to engage with government and they were even cut off from the religious community and religious life. I suppose the closest parallel in our culture might be having a, a life sentence in prison where you're cut off from normal society. So you're, you're only involved with that subgroup, that subpopulation. So it's kind of like a, a life Sentence in prison except for, their, for them the government wasn't even taking care of their needs the way your needs are taken care of in a modern prison. And so in verse 13 out of desperation these 10 lepers who are in that kind of a situation they cry out to Jesus and they beg him for mercy. Now what's so significant here is that they use a title when they call him. They say Jesus master have mercy on me or on us. And the fact that they would call Jesus master demonstrates that there's some level of expectation, but also some level of trust on their part that Jesus is actually capable of bringing a healing to them, of actually helping them out of their miserable state. Now, what happened is they had probably heard about Jesus's ministry that he had already done. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of Luke, back in chapter 5, Jesus had already healed a leper. And that leper was cleansed. And in chapter 5, verse 15, we read, the report about him went abroad. So Jesus had healed a leper there. And what's funny is Jesus had told him, don't tell anybody. But when God does something great in your life, you got you to tell people. And so the report just spread like wildfire. And these lepers probably caught wind of that. And so here comes that same guy, Jesus, into their community, into their village, and out of desperation, instead of saying, unclean, unclean, they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. I wonder if he'll care about me. I wonder if he'll touch me. I wonder if he would be willing to extend a healing to me. Notice Jesus' response. He gives them a command. In chapter 5, when he healed the leper, he He just healed him right there. And in this chapter, in this instance, he tells him to do something. In verse 14, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, what's going on here? Why do they need to go show themselves to the priest? Well, back in Leviticus chapter 13, where the Old Testament talks about various skin diseases, which leprosy is one of those, The process for somebody uh, who had a disease like this and who had thought that the disease left or they were healed from it, the process was that they needed to go and present themselves to a priest. And the priest would then examine their body to try to determine to the best of their ability whether or not the disease had left them. And if it had left them, it was the priest who was able to sort of give them like a clean bill of health and say, you know what, the disease has left, and you are now allowed to reintegrate into the community. You're declared cleansed by the priest. So rather than Jesus just touching them and healing them, or saying to them, be clean like he did in Luke 5, what he does is he actually, listen, this is so significant, he commands them to behave as if they are already healed. He commands them to act on a reality that is not yet actual. He's saying, go show yourselves to the priest, but they still have leprosy. In other words, again, he's saying, behave like you've already been healed. In other words, Jesus gives these 10 lepers who expressed at least some level of belief. Master, you can heal us. He's saying, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity now to exercise some faith. Go show yourself to the priest. And this is so important for us, church. Because if you and I hope to experience the power of God in our lives, which I know by knowing most of you, we have that hope. We want God's power active in our lives. We want God doing things in our lives and in our families. If we hope to experience God's power in our lives, listen, it's going to come through the exercise of faith. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't sometimes act independent of people's faith. Sure, He does. God might intervene in somebody's life who doesn't even believe in Him. But normally speaking, God's way of interacting and intervening in our lives and us receiving His blessings and His power in our lives, it comes through faith. In fact, in Hebrews we read that apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. So this is important for us this morning. So I want to talk about a couple of things related to our faith that we see so clearly here. The first is this. Faith behaves according to what has been promised. Faith behaves according to what has been promised. See, these 10 lepers had no idea how the story would end. But they knew what he said. He said, go show yourselves to the priests, Now they had every reason to stay. They could have looked at Jesus and said, come on, look at us. You know, we have leprosy. We can see it all over our bodies. I don't need to go see a priest and get a second opinion today. But they went. See, faith is behaving not according to how things are or how things seem to be right now. No, no, no. It's behaving according to what has been promised to you. In Hebrews 11, one, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that are not seen yet. So, so it's this expectation that what's been told to me, what's been promised to me is actually going to come to pass. And it's me living my life in light of that. It's me behaving according to those Promises rather than just what I'm seeing right now. Now, one of the great heroes of the faith is Father Abraham. Listen to the faith of Abraham described there in Hebrews 11. This is verses 8 and 9. Now, I want you to notice that Abraham is demonstrating what I'm talking to you about right now. Abraham made decisions, he behaved in accordance not to what he could see, but in accordance to what God had told him would come, up, come to be and come to pass. By faith, we read in Hebrews 11, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Listen. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Friends, that's where faith lives. In the land of promise. Saying, this is what God told me is going to happen.